Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everybody, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to week 183 and video episode number 9 of 4T, the Thursday throwback track. Every week I choose a release from my collection, I discuss it, I give you my take on it, I talk about the history and I throw in some other things and I talk about how it has influenced my music. Uh, this week it is the band that you're listening to in the back there, Chicago. With the famous logo. The band's been around for more than 50 years, I believe 53 years now. Um, I looked back on my other 182 posts, and even though, although I mentioned Chicago a couple of times here and there, it surprised me that this is the first time actually talking about this band. They are actually, I would probably say, in my top five, definitely in my top ten. Um, and you may wonder why. You kind of get an idea of what music I like and I gravitate towards. My, my, my tastes are eclectic. I'm into many different uh, kinds of things. But the bands I tend to gravitate to the most are the ones that show range, that show uh, kind of a broadness in what they're willing to try and tackle and accomplish. Uh, bands like the Beatles, bands uh, or you know artists like Prince uh, and, and others. Um, Chicago was actually one of those bands. Uh, most of you who know Chicago probably know them because of their big, bad, cheesy power ballad 80s phase, uh, which was a fine phase, uh, or some of their earlier hits like 25 or 6 to 4, Color My World, uh, If You Leave Me Now, is a little bit later, but those kinds of uh, hits. Uh, what you may not know and what you're hearing in the back, uh, let me give you a three-second pause. is that they were actually very progressive. Uh, they incorporated a ton of styles in their music throughout the years and uh, even really just early on in their first few albums. Um, I have a list here I'm reading. I'm reading off of what I wrote. And, uh, you know, there's jazz, as you can hear. There was classical, blues, funk. There was heavy rock, light rock, progressive rock, pop, folk, political songs, Latin, freeform, spoken word, and even electronic. They did it all. Uh, and um, they did it all pretty much all very well, too. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why Chicago is one of my favorite bands. And really, it's mainly because of what I call their first phase, or their first couple of phases. thing about a band like this, it's true for a lot of long-term bands, but it's, I think, more true for Chicago than almost any other band is that they have gone through many phases and each of those phases is 
uh, it, it, markedly different, or at least different enough to be considered, a di- you know, a different phase. Um, and you know, I'm not going to talk about the entire history of the band because if I did that, it would take me hours. Uh, so I'm going to give you kind of a, a quick rundown of what I consider to be the main phases. We're not talking sub-phases and all that stuff. I could break this down way too much. Uh, We're just going to stick to the big, you know, the big chunks. Um, There is phase one, which goes from their birth in 1967 as Chicago Transit Authority to uh, 1974. And that goes through their first seven albums. That was when they were really uh, trying out everything. They were very experimental. As far as I'm concerned, they were a progressive rock band at the time. They certainly, uh, you know, leaned more towards things like uh, jazz and uh, eventually Latin when they added the Latin percussionist who was, uh, you know, a member of theirs uh, for years. Um, You know, their first three albums were double albums. And they decided for their fourth album they should do something different and they put out a quadruple album. And then uh, the next two albums were single albums. Then they did another double album for uh, Chicago 7 and uh, which actually was one of their most progressive and eclectic and, and instrumentally and weird, you know, electronic albums. Uh, so that was, you know, that, that was the phase that really, I think, kind of captivated my imagination and, and, and that I respect them the most for because it, it showed that they were willing to go anywhere and embrace it and, 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 and mix it together and do their own take on it, you know. Uh, following that was phase two. They pretty much sounded the same. They had the same members and all that stuff, but they were getting a little tighter. They were focusing more on singles. Uh, They started to have bigger hits, more popular hits, things like that. They still relied on the same three uh, lead vocalists, um, the incomparable Terry Kath, Robert Lamb, and Peter Cetera. But at this point, the hits that they were getting were leaning more towards having Peter Cetera sing. Uh, uh, you know, and that's just something that happened then, and that went through from their Chicago 8 to uh, Chicago 11. And then something happened. Uh, Terry Kath died um, accidentally um, from playing with a gun, and uh, that completely changed the trajectory of the band for the rest of the remaining members' lives. And this enters into phase three, which was from uh, 1978 to 1980. Uh, from their album Hot Streets, which is number 12, and geez, what a what a great title, to uh, Chicago 14. They were trying to just stay afloat, just still have a career, just still, you know, try to put out music that they respected. They were really losing, the, you know, losing their way uh, because they lost their heart and soul, really. And... Um, there was a revolving door of, uh, you know, lead guitarists and vocalists who were trying, they were trying to get to replace uh, Terry Kath. No one quite worked. It took them in interesting directions like uh, disco or kind of a cheap trick kind of sound like and pop rock and all that kind of thing. Uh, they, they tried to hold on a little bit to that jazzy and horn thing. It's a weird period. There were some very interesting songs in there. There were a couple actual hidden gems, but overall, it's it's an awkward period. Uh, still, still worth checking into. Um, although I would not go there first. Phase four is the phase everybody knows from 1982 to 1991, uh, about as long I think as the first phase. And I call that the money phase. They got a new producer and David Foster. They started using outside songwriters like Diane Warren to help out. 
Um, Peter Cetera pretty much took over all the lead vocals. I mean, you know, Robert Land still did some stuff, and they had, you know, a new guy in there and all that. But in general, it was them kind of polishing their jammy, jazz-funk tendencies into, like, mass, marketable mega hits. They, you know... Um, it might have been that Chicago would have been a band like, I don't know, EL, ELP or somebody like that if they hadn't had that, you know, subsequent uh, 1980s success. And um, that was probably when I was first conscious of them because it would have hit me at the right time, right age. And uh, I got to say, there were songs I played on the piano and sang back then. I probably had to change the key because Peter Cetera has a very high voice. But I loved them. And uh, I don't knock that period, except for one thing, which is, which is this. It was really kind of the linchpin period for them because after that, there was, you know, unfortunately, no going back. There could have been, but there wasn't. Uh, they really kind of were looking for a way in phase three. And in this phase four... As far as I'm concerned, um, they kind of lost the, 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 you know, the original intent of, of why the band was created. Not live. Live is different. They, they, as far as I you know, know, and I did see them once a couple years ago, they still kick ass live. But as far as their recording and writing and stuff like that, they never quite went back to this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, you know, to, you know uh, my opinion is I'm very sad about that, but uh, other people kind of love it, you know. So that stretched to 91. They were strong enough at that point to weather the, the departure of Peter Cetera, uh, who went on to a big solo career, and the departure of their original drummer, Danny Seraphim, who um, I've always loved uh, for his energy more than anything else and his, you know, uh, weirdness in some ways. Um, and, and just continue to soldier on. And then that took him into phase five, which, you know, you can break phase five down as many phases as you want. As far as I'm concerned, phase five is pretty much from their next album in 1995 till now. And, it's, and, and the way I see it is they, you know, have been focusing on uh, banking on their legacy, uh, doing great live shows, and... Uh, continuing to put out albums that people can buy and listen to, um, I would classify those albums into three categories. Uh, unremarkable covers albums, like jazz standards, um, which for a band that relies on horns and started out so damn jazzy, it really gets me that they don't kind of, you know, get in there and try to get a little more real jazz. And, you know, it's just kind of like jazz. Uh, Christmas albums... Which, look, I love Christmas. We talked about that when we talked about the Wham! album. Uh, I have an eclectic taste in Christmas music, too. But, man, try as I might to like Chicago's Christmas albums. They are so overproduced. And, again, you know, horns would be great for holiday music. I don't know why they don't use them more the way they used to like this. You hear that? Yeah, see. This is Chicago 2 I'm playing, by the way, not uh, which was this one. And not uh, Chicago 9, which is uh, their first greatest hits compilation. Um, and then the third category of albums that they've been putting out is original music. And uh, God bless them, they're doing what they can, but my God, it's just not been great. And I, again, am sad about that. I don't know why. I, I, you know, I think sometimes they think that they can still reach for the heights and get the big hits. Um, and sometimes they try to get a little more personal and things like that, but the but their sound is so polished now, and 
and their songs rarely venture away from the simple kind of, you know, three to five minute pop song that I really, you know, it's hard to stay interested. The only time I think they had a bit of a peak was in the late 90s when uh, Lenny Kravitz got a hold of them and they put out these double CD collections of all their stuff and some, you know, B-sides and stuff. And he produced two new songs of theirs, which was as close as they've ever come to getting back to this form. Uh, and before and since then, in this phase, no, I'm sorry. And I say that because, like, with certain relatives we have, no matter how they've changed or who they are, what they go through, you still love them. I still love Chicago. I still listen. I'm going to listen to everything they put out. I have listened to everything they put out. I'll keep hoping that something sparks them to stop trying to be so commercial and get back to their roots. Clearly, they still have the chops, and yeah, they just lost another member, the guy, one of the horn players retired, you know. So I believe now there are only three original uh, members still sticking it out, out of seven, uh, really, and eight if you count the, the Latin percussionist who was with them for a really long time. Um, but they just I don't seem like they're very interested, and maybe it's because they're road warriors. They just like doing the live thing, and they, you know, kick ass at that. I don't know. All I know is that they still deserve respect and reverence because their first phase and 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 really kind of, and the second phase I would say too kicked so much ass and their fourth phase was such an amazing comeback and and you know and did you know did so much for the power ballad if you you know love it or hate it uh, that I'm never not going to love them and I'm never not going to go back and listen to this uh, a couple of years ago I got my son Colin into uh, into their music and he played uh, one of their songs on the drums and you know he was listening to them for a while on Spotify stuff like that and it's one of the, you know one of the handful of bands that I would love to keep you know talking about and passing on um, uh, I these are the only two albums of theirs I have on vinyl um, all the other ones I have on CD which uh, you know uh, again oh except for the last couple which i've only listened to on spotify um so i sort of have them don't have them i don't even know what you know to say about any of that anymore um but because i've listened to them over and over and over and absorbed what they've done it's clear that they've influenced me just really by default i remember producing an album uh sorry songs back in college that that uh used keyboard horns because i didn't you know have access to horn players um, but it was clearly me being Chicago. Um, uh, and you know, throughout that kind of feeling of uh, being able to do progressive pop music, which is something uh, my friend Daniel Cousins came up with, progressive pop is you know, kind of what we both do. Um, but with funky backbeats and layered harmonies, you know, very Beatles influenced, but they, they went beyond that too. Their harmonies have always been amazing. All of that has been a part of my wheelhouse for years, and their eclecticism and things like that. Um, I can pick a, you know, a dozen songs of mine that would fit the bill there, but I think the one that came to mind first is from my uh, EP, What It Is. It's the last song called One Minute Shy of Forever. You listen to that, you're going to hear, I mean, it was influenced by a song like Only the Beginning from Chicago's first album and a bunch of other things. Um, it doesn't have horns, but that's kind of not the point of, of what their influence was to me. Uh, a couple other little notes here before I sign off. And yeah, it's a longer one because it's Chicago. So, you know, if I uh, do one on the Beatles, it's going to be longer than this even. So, you know, thank you for sticking it out. Um, Terry Kath, 
my good friend Pete Bradis wrote a book um, about guitar, his guitar heroes, but lesser known guitar heroes. He wasn't writing about Jimi Hendrix or things like that. And he said the person who inspired him to write this book was Terry Kath. And you can hear some of his guitar playing back there. He's someone who uh, Jimi Hendrix said better than him. Um, that's one of the you know many quotes that has been you know batted around by his fans. There's a documentary on it if you want to look it up. I took Colin to it a few years ago. It was really good. He's someone who should be better known because he was able to combine the heart and soul and the chops in so many different ways, genres, through his guitar playing. And, you know, yeah, you can talk about the biggies, uh, and, and they all deserve our respect, too. But somebody like him, he need, you know, I think he should have more recognition. Um, and I guess, yeah, and then my favorite tracks, you're not going to get, because there are way too many. It's like talking about favorite Beatles tracks or favorite Prince tracks. My favorite albums would be Chicago Transit Authority, the first one. Uh, two, which is this. Three. Uh, five. Six, maybe. Seven, for sure. Uh, eight and ten were tight, but had some really good stuff on there. Eleven, I, I, you know, I'd give an honorable mention to, like, six, as well as I would 16 and 17. Not, they're not going to be in my favorites, but they're, they deserve respect. If you have not listened to any of the 1 through 7 in particular, but even 1 through 11, excluding 4 and 9, which are a live album and greatest hits album respectively, go back and listen to any of this stuff. And you'll understand how the Chicago you, you know is not really, the, the you know, it's just one version of Chicago. Um, as always... I urge you to read what's below, to click on the link to learn more about Chicago, to click on the link to my song, to listen to it, to share it, to explore further and listen to other of my songs, uh, to to discuss what are your thoughts on Chicago. Are there any other 70s progressive rock bands who hit it big in the 80s like Journey or Genesis that you prefer? Or do you hate all of this? Do you love all of it? Do you prefer Chicago's 80s phase to their earlier phases? You prefer their current phase for some reason. I want to know all of it because, as always, my objective here in talking about music is conversation and connection. Uh, thanks again for watching. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.